Welcome to the Health Humanities Podcast. Our mission is to facilitate interdisciplinary thinking and creative work related to illness, caregiving, and medicine. I'm Elizabeth Coletti, the Editor-in-Chief of the Health Humanities Journal of UNC Chapel Hill, and this episode we'll hear from Hannah Tischer, who's majoring in English and Computer Science. We'll start with hearing her read her narrative, The Screen Turned Black. We hope you enjoy. The screen turned black. The scratchy couch oozes the smell of home. Sweat builds between your hand and the remote as you flip through the channels. You pick something about weddings or a big crazy family or maybe something about both. The sound of the TV drones on as you eat the last of the salt and vinegar chips from the bag that you only opened this morning. You push your fingers into the corners. The small chip bits crumble against the pad of your index finger. You suck the dry and salty dust off your hand. Your fingers shine with the saliva as you put them back in the bag for another helping. By the time the screen turns black and counts down from five, you debate getting up. Once you do, the backs of your bare thighs are red. You look down and see a weird speckled pattern across them and do some acrobatics to try to get a better look. With your hand on the coffee table and your left foot on the couch, you realize you're not actually bruised. The couch stitching imprinted on your thigh. You walk five steps into the kitchen. The tile is cool and sticky. You grab the fudge-striped cookies from the cabinet and walk back to the couch. Before you sit, you rub your feet against the carpet, depositing the pieces of rice your feet picked up from your kitchen floor. A loud bang from the construction outside grabs your attention. You look out and see the sky. Its blueness matches the label of the empty blue moon bottle on the coffee table. The view of a single cloud makes you almost feel a light spring breeze on your skin. You think about crawling into your bedroom and pulling on a pair of shorts over your underwear, putting on a clean shirt, taking the elevator down, and walking through the double doors that lead from the small lobby to outside. But then you think about how much effort that would all take. You think about how many doors and handles and buttons you'd have to press. You think about how you couldn't even see anyone when you actually got out there. You think about how you couldn't walk into that ice cream store three doors over. You think about how if you saw a neighbor's dog, you wouldn't be allowed to pet it. Then you think about how the couch has shaped itself around you like a mother hugging a very fragile child. Then you look back to the screen and then you don't think anymore. The screen turns black again. The light outside is starting to disappear. The sliver of sky between the roof of the apartments across the street and the top of your window has turned orange. You think about how beautiful it must be from the backyard of the house you grew up in. But that only makes you think about your parents asking you to come home, which is not something you want. They're nice and the food there is good, but at least here this apartment is all yours. The couch that you got from your parents and the table you took out of someone's trash can on Fairfax and the swirly chair you stole from your dorm room, they make this apartment feel like yours. Ever since your mom moved your bookshelf into the living room and replaced your sheets with a newer and pinker set, your room at home hasn't felt like yours. But you also know you should go home. 
The food here is starting to dwindle and you're sick of having rice every night, but you don't know what to do, so you go back to the television. Mary fights with Juliet over Anthony for the sixth time, even though you've shouted at her that Anthony isn't good enough. You stick the last of the fudge stripes into your mouth and let the cheap chocolate melt on your tongue. Anthony's engaged to Mary now, even though Juliet's pregnant. You laugh at their lives and are thankful and self-righteous that you are nothing like them. But then they all dance together in a nightclub and two make out with strangers. And you wish you could go to a nightclub and make out with strangers. Not that you would, but you would like to be able to. The screen turns black again. This time season two comes on the screen. You look down at your dirty shirt. You feel the oil built between your eyebrows. Your knees click as you stretch them over the small table. The room is full of dirty dishes and stale clothes. You turn off the TV. As you muster the courage to clean, you check your phone. The long, grim road ahead. U.S. service member dies. 12-year-old Belgian girl becomes Europe's youngest known coronavirus death. Not enough tests. U.S. now leads the world in confirmed coronavirus cases. White House projects 100,000 to 240,000 U.S. coronavirus deaths face mass shortage. You Google when this will end, June. You Google how to prevent it. Wash hands, exercise, use hand sanitizer, wear a mask, don't go outside, support your healthcare workers. The world is under attack. You can't see it. You can't know if you have it. And you know you'll probably be fine. You know that. But you don't know if your job's coming back and you don't know when you'll be able to go to the store again without feeling afraid. And you don't know when walking into your neighbor's house will be allowed. You just want to fast forward through this part of your life, but you can't. So you go back onto the couch and start season two. You can read that narrative and the rest of the fall 2020 issue of the Health Humanities Journal on our website. Hannah, thank you so much for joining me. This is going to be the first episode of the new semester. Awesome. Thank you. So we are a little bit starting on a downer. Your narrative is kind of a horrible but accurate snapshot of the current pandemic, particularly the early stages of lockdown. Is it fair to call it nonfiction or were you combining details from different sources? Yeah, so... Most of the details in almost anything I write are from somewhere that I've experienced. I'm not great with making stuff up. I actually wrote this story sitting on my couch because I had to write four pages as an assignment for one of my writing classes. It was just, you have to write four pages a week. Doesn't matter what it's (laughs) about. You just have to be writing, which I think is one of the best exercises you can do as a writer is just, it doesn't matter if this is good. I just need to get four things out or four pages out. And Mm -hmm. that's what I did. And this came out of it after a lot of editing. This was not by any means what happened just the first time I wrote it. But (laughs) either in the writing process or through the editing, like you say, was it difficult for you? Because I mean, even for me getting to the list of all of those headlines and ending with, you know, when is this going to be over June is such a gut punch. And I know you did write this a while ago, you know, before June, before um, (laughs) that has a kind of horrible uh, irony in retrospect. Mm -hmm. The titles of different articles, those are all real titles that I found on my phone. And those are all from the first draft. This last paragraph had the same gist, just maybe a few like syntactic things that Mm -hmm. I've changed. 
And yeah, so it wasn't too difficult. It's more of just me describing like exactly what's happening around me. Um, I think I always write in a very like kind of matter of fact kind of tone. Um, I don't, I try not to put much emotion to it. And I try to get the emotion to build by what the reader's interpretation is versus like having the narrator feel much. Mm -hmm. And then like, I think it's funny. This might not answer your question, but right now we're getting, um, everyone's like, oh, everyone should have the vaccine by June. So June became accurate again. It's just a year later. So that's sad, but Mm -hmm. it's funny that that worked out. (laughs) Some stuff like that that you kind of just have to have to laugh at. Yeah, exactly. I wonder, do you have any funny in retrospect stories of learning about the pandemic? Because it's such a weird thing that occurred so quickly that I feel like everybody has a moment where they figured out this is going to be bad. Spring break happened right before we got shut down and we had mm-hmm. to go home from Chapel Hill. And my friends and I drove to the Grand Canyon during that spring break. So we were able to have like a fantastic vacation like right before everything happened. But my dad was like, you need to pack gloves and masks and all this stuff. Even before masks were like required, we were afraid that they might be like, you have to wear them like when we're somewhere in Oklahoma, you Mm -hmm. know? So we had like this doom day bag in the back of my car. So that was pretty eye opening. And like we would also, we were almost safer on that trip than I am now sometimes because we would take Clorox wipes and wipe down the handles of gas station pumps Mm -hmm. before we'd use them in last March. I don't do that as much now. I just use hand sanitizer before and after. But we were very safe during that trip. And that's, I think, what got me in the mood uh, to like be ready for lockdown. I do love throughout the story, the details that really draw or I guess maybe force the reader into this experience that you're describing. Did you have a specific rhyme or reason for building out this like sensory landscape? Yeah, so most of it was literally the environment I was in when I was writing. So like the rice on the floor, depositing it into the carpet, That that's because I had cooked rice before the night before and I hadn't cleaned it up yet. So mm-hmm. I literally did that. And at the time I was watching like a wedding reality TV show. So that's where the names and all this came from. So it's very much nonfiction, like you said, but like the construction is all fake. The, you know, the description of home is not real. Like, yes, the food's good at my house where I live, but I feel like that's not like a detail small enough to really be nonfiction, you know? Mm-hmm. When I have to write and I don't know what to say, I just describe a world and that's just what happens. Um, most of the time in my longer stories, I'll get critiques like, nothing really happened in the story like it's all very well written there's like I can see it I can smell it but the characters didn't change so that's something that I've struggled with with a lot of my longer stories but with stories like three pages your goal is just really to get the reader into a moment and I think I was able to do that in this one. I definitely think you were successful in that. So this story is obviously unavoidably about quarantine and social distancing But one thing that I find really interesting about it, and this is also something that the editorial staff talked about when we were reading this submission, is that it takes a minute for that to click. 
because you don't name check the coronavirus until almost the end. Mm-hmm. I think it's the last paragraph even. So we were also reading this narrative as kind of about depression more generally and that kind of inability to pick yourself up and go about your life. Were you planning that at all or was that in your mind when writing this piece? Yeah, so I don't like being too direct sometimes and I felt like saying coronavirus anywhere but the headlines would be too direct. It kind of would have, like, yes, this story is about COVID and quarantine, like you said, but I think mentioning it anywhere but those headlines would have put it into its own cubbyhole, like this is a COVID story. Whereas the rest of the story, even before quarantine, everyone had a day where like, they had to do something, but like this random TV show was just so good that they couldn't leave the couch and they didn't feel like it. And so I felt like I didn't want to pigeonhole myself any more than I had to, but I still wanted to talk about COVID and quarantine. One little run that I really like is the part where the narrator is thinking about going outside and then tallies through everything that would mean down to counting buttons that they'd have to press, which is, I think, a great representation of all the things that we maybe took for granted or just didn't factor in before. Mm -hmm. Do you have an example of how you had to reshape your thinking to deal with everything that's going on? Yeah, I mean, I am a person who I really like to be very involved in things. So I have like my close friends who I live with right now. So it's nice because I get to see them very often, um, like every day. But I also have like my marathon, I'm on the marathon team. So I have my marathon friends and I have, I'm a member of DiFi at Chapel Hill. So I have all of those friends and those groups I've just gotten way worse at communicating with because I'm not seeing them, like I'm not going to things. So that's definitely been a harder part for me. And I'm very cautious, like I don't even really want to see people like six feet away outside personally Mm -hmm. I'd just rather we meet virtually and hang out like that so that's definitely been something like I've had to kind of take account of but I don't really do it often because it's kind of sad to think about all the people you aren't seeing right now who you Mm -hmm. would see like regularly because it's not like you're not friends with those people that you aren't seeing anymore but with COVID I feel like we've all really had to isolate ourselves into like the five people that are like our support system and it's not that we don't enjoy every other friend that we have it's just right now you can really only be close with like those five people and it's so it's kind of hard for me hopefully by next fall or maybe next spring if we're unlucky we'll be able to all go back in person and I feel like since everyone has had this I think everybody will come back and be like oh my god I get to see your face yeah, it's an entirely new way of kind of quantifying. Can I keep up with people? How do I keep up with people? Yeah, that's it's definitely weird because like I'll send friends from different clubs at school like a text every so often, but like it's definitely not how I would ideally maintain relationships or mm. friendships right now. But yeah, it's okay. You mentioned your computer science major, but you also mm-hmm. uh, told me that you're an English major. So I'm wondering if any of your English or literature classes have touched on how we read stories in light of what we're living through, or has anything you've read or watched lately caused you to reflect on it in a different way? That's a very good question. I haven't really had a class that has talked about reading things in the scope of COVID. I took one class that was about Japanese American literature and it really focused on the Japanese internment. So we did look at like the BLM movements of this past summer kind of in contact with that. Mm -hmm. And I think BLM has become 
like it's more than COVID, but I think it's very closely tied to our quarantine experience because that is kind of like the first thing that happened when quarantine ended is those protests. But with like reading specifically, quarantine really gave me the time to read like I hadn't had before. And so that was awesome. I was able to really focus on just reading because I think another important part of being a writer is to read so that way you kind of know the styles that you like. You're able to try to imitate people because like no story is really new. We're all just copying each other at this point. Um, But I found one story that I really did like, or one book, Um, It's called The Country of the Last Things by Paul Auster. And so I read a Paul Auster book, Oracle Night, in fall of 2019 for a class. And I loved him so much that I found this other one and I read it. And this one is about a woman going to a city that has no laws almost. It's like an anarchy, but the rest of the world is fine. Just like this city is an anarchy because her brother is a journalist and he got lost there. And so she's going in and seeing this whole new world. And I think that's exactly what we're doing in the United States right now is like almost everything that has happened this year is uncharted in some measure you know or at least for the people alive today it's uncharted territory so yeah and it's funny because right now I just had the thought that like Australia who doesn't really have to deal with COVID at the moment or like they have way less of an issue with it right now Australia might be looking at the U.S. like we are the the city in anarchy that that book has you know and then Australia is like the normal world which is kind of sad that that's where we are but it'll get better, I think. So there's so much dystopian or even sci-fi fiction that like I've had a hard time with lately. It feels very, very close to home now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's getting a little too close for comfort. To end on, what's made you hopeful recently? I mean, I think a lot of different things, the new year, the the vaccine for COVID specific stuff. I'm also hopeful for this new semester. I'm excited for my classes. I'm excited for my summer internship. Just like the fact that we're no longer in 2020, I know nothing has changed. Like we still have the same government. We still have the same issues. We still have COVID. I know it's just like a number and like an arbitrary date as New Year's, but I think that has given me a lot of hope and I hope it's given like a lot of others hope that we're not in the year that all this happened. We're in the year that we fix it. Thank you so much for coming to talk to me. This has been Great to, I was a little worried. I think a lot of these pieces that are about the coronavirus that were in the last issue of the journal, I've been reading them again and, you know, prepping questions. And it's easy to think that it's just going to be sad all the time. But I really like that writing and making art about difficult things can make it a little bit easier. So thank you so much for coming to talk with me about it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. You can find Hannah's narrative and the rest of the Health Humanities Journal's Fall 2020 issue on our website, linked in the show notes, or go to hhj.web.unc.edu. The music you're hearing now and at the top is from Andy G. Cohen. Thanks again to Hannah for coming to talk with me, and be sure to watch for our next episode to hear more from the authors of the Health Humanities Journal of UNC Chapel Hill.